Welcome to the Scholars and Storytellers podcast, a podcast brought to you by the Center for Scholars and Storytellers at UCLA. For this episode, we're going to be doing something a little different. For a special three-part series, I, Nir Liebenthal, interviewed high school students from the CSS Youth Insights Council. They are a fantastic group of students interested in the intersection of psychology and entertainment. I asked them some pretty difficult questions, but they are truly wise beyond their years. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy. What's up, Sam? Thank you so much for taking the time to interview with me today. You want to introduce yourself quickly? Hi, I'm Sam. I'm in 10th grade at Geffen Academy, and I'm very glad to be doing this today. Right on, right on. 10th grade. So you're finishing up your 10th grade year? Yep, almost halfway. Wow. Where are we? Where's our head at? Oh, I don't know. There's a lot going on right now, so... yeah. I don't know. Heads kind of everywhere. Yeah, I can I can imagine. But halfway halfway done high school. Yeah, something. You ready for junior year? Oh yeah, I'm very excited. Nice. That's it. Love love that optimism. Uh, but yeah, okay. I got some some questions for you. Very very curious to hear to hear what's on your what's on your mind. So, what role do stories play in your life? Well, I would say like stories have a very wide medium. So you can have like stories as in books, stories, movies, just regardless. But I would say in my life specifically, I'm a very imaginative person. So when I can see or relate to things that might not be real, I find that as a good way of being able to powerfully communicate. I think that a lot of imaginative situations or stories can provide a lot of clarity to otherwise, uh, confusing situations or problems. So I think that that is definitely something that I benefit from because I'm someone who likes to visualize. And so being able to hear stories and that have different morals and lessons and things like that, that really have an underlying theme are really helpful to understanding a more general problem. Right. That's a good answer. So are there, if you think about the stories that exist now, are there any types of stories or morals or themes that you wished were touched upon more? Oh, that's a good question. Um, in today's story world, I would say a lot of the time it gets really repetitive, like the hero never really loses. <laughs> and so I would say not to make the hero lose more, but I would say make the hero maybe have to sacrifice more or show that victory is possible, but it's not always as easy as it seems. Sure. So there might have to be more struggle to re- to represent the struggle that people actually have to deal with in everyday life where yes they can still work hard to bring themselves to the top but it's not going to be as easy as just creating a new element like iron man and flying through the sky yeah. like they actually have to work for what they're doing and so i think that if more elements of sacrifice and struggle were brought into it because i obviously there are elements right now where like yes they work for it but it's all in like a montage form or something like that where it's like the, they work out for seven days but you don't see you don't actually see the in-between in the movie the the boring parts the parts that actually take the energy and time to do right because that doesn't make for an entertaining movie so i'm thinking like maybe if those parts were more included yes it wouldn't be as receptive to audiences because audiences go to see an entertaining thing but i think that'd be a better theme to implement because people need to see the mundane and to see the unexplored areas in order to see the true full arc of the story sure sure some more realistic portrayals of how difficult real life is. 
Yeah, exactly. Gotcha. So are you calling for less storybook endings or do you still want the storybook ending just a more realistic journey to get there? Yeah, probably the latter. I would say that, yes, storybook endings are still good because everyone wants to see the hero come out on top. But, yeah, I think that if there is more of a... For example, with Avengers Endgame and things like that, um, when you're able to have a compelling villain as well mm-hmm. or a compelling negative, I think that that's also a huge aspect that it, that definitely should be explored more because when you get people who are rooting for or understand or sympathize with the villain then I think that's how you get a really complete story because you want to be able to see that not everything is so black and white. There's not always good and evil. There are sometimes there's a gray area a lot of the time where it's difficult to distinguish the difference. And so I think that, yeah, the difference is you want the storybook ending where the heroes win, obviously. But I think that having a compelling villain who also brings a strong stance Hmm. and argument to to the table also is crucial in in implementing that into into the story world sure so you're calling you're calling for for a little bit more nuance you want the characters to be a little a little messier a little more confusing yeah a little Um, more yeah yeah a little more dark i would say a little more watchmen-esque where Uh the heroes have flaws too and so i like it you know you can see that the heroes are might be doing the right thing but not for the right reasons something along those lines right well, I, I, I completely agree with you. And I like stories like that because it's not it's not spoon-feeding you the message. It puts you in a situation where you're required to think a little bit more about what, like, what should I take? Like, Watchmen forces you to actively think about what you should take away from it. Exactly. So you, make, you, make a great, you make a great point. Okay, next question. So you think about the types of characters that exist on screen now. What types of characters would you like to see more of? Less from like a hero villain standpoint and more more from a, I guess, like diversity and representation standpoint. I definitely think that it could be worse always, but mm-hmm. uh, there are also different aspects that can be better. Honestly, a lot of TV nowadays I'm seeing are going out of their way to try to include minority groups. And I know that that may sound a little, I don't know, barbaric, but it seems like a lot of TV will go for the sort of less represented person or group to appeal more to like critics and a wider audience. Mm -hmm. And while that's not necessarily a bad thing, I think that a lot of the time that kind of overshadows some of the other more important aspects like hiring good actors or things like that. So obviously there are good actors for every, every class of person you could possibly imagine. So that's obviously not an issue, but honestly, I think that a lot of TV today is really doing a good job of mm-hmm. representing a lot of different cultural backgrounds. Like, for example, in The Office, a show that I love, um, and I'm sure a lot of people <laughs> yeah. are able yeah. to know what this is about. But yeah, there's a lot of different representation in there. You have like every kind of person you could imagine, and I think that they did a really good job. And that was like in the really early 2000s, so that was really I think that they were a little bit ahead of schedule when it comes to actually representing um, different minorities and ethnic groups and uh, sexuality, all, all those things. So I think that they were definitely good in that. Right. And shows like Brooklyn Nine-Nine and other things like that who have a wide cast of people from all sorts of communities. I just think that that's a direction that's definitely good to be taking because everyone wants to feel like they can identify with somebody 
in their favorite show or movie or something like that and putting characters of all sorts of class and type are just it's good because then everybody can feel like they have someone to identify with right right i think you you bring up you bring up some great points so a follow-up question is do you think it's enough to just have a diverse cast of characters or is the nature of the way the character is written important as well yeah, so that's a, one of the things I was trying to say like before, but I didn't really know how to phrase it. So, um, yeah, I think that you can't just have different minorities in the show and then expect it to be a good show. You still have to prioritize, you know, writing the script well and developing good character development because that's how you really bring out those true colors. Like you're able to really extract what you want to represent in that character. So when you're bringing someone who is gay or something like that, you want to act. You don't want to write it in a in a poor way that's going to steam it like like make it seem like it's offensive to some people you want to write it in a very careful way where the character is just you know they want to, they want to be an identifiable character so you're writing mm-hmm. them like you would write any other character and that's just part of their history you just write it into their character and i think that's one of the most important aspects keeping it as if you would write for any other character but just including that into the backstory right okay we're going to change change gears a little bit what platform would you say that teens consume most of their content on well for me personally i consume a lot of youtube especially now Mm -hmm. since i'm since we're all stuck at home but um i love youtube i think it's a great platform because anyone can post anything about anything it's so there's just so much diversity in the amount of content that you can see on there and so i think that it's really just rapidly it, it really has just only grown from its from its inception so it's it's just amazing to see that a platform created just for the fans and only for the fans with no professional like hiring is now Mm -hmm. creating like celebrities out of it. I just find it incredible that like there are so many people who have become rich and famous because of a platform that was meant to like send home videos to from like 2002 or something like that, like really long time ago. So it's, it's pretty amazing. And so I just love YouTube because there's just so much, there's so much you can watch on there, like any kind of thing that you want. And I just think that there's like so much room for success on there for new people also, mm-hmm. because if you really like push yourself to work hard and make good edited videos and things like that, and you put the time and the effort in, it's very doable. I think that a lot of people who think that like, oh, I can't do it. Only like only big channels can get bigger and things like that. You know, it's it's hard because yes, it's true. Big channels have a much higher chance of being recognized, but at the same time, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot a lot of channels who are relatively new and they're still growing and they're still doing pretty well and so it's just amazing to see that so much success can come from such a small like such a small point. Right, right. So when you're going through YouTube or even Netflix for that matter mm-hmm. or any of the streaming streaming platforms, how do you choose what to watch? What are you what are you looking for? I don't really know what I'm looking for half the time, if I'm being honest. I I don't ever really have a specific thing in mind. I will often look on the recommended and see, because the more videos that you watch, obviously with the algorithms and all that, they know what you want. And so they kind of give it to you for you. Honestly, I think that there are too many choices. So I can't really have... I can't really pick. I just just can't. And so... So uh, a lot of it, yeah, I just find myself looking in recommended, and then when I th- see something that provokes me and it's like, oh, that looks interesting, then I will 
take a look at it. But yeah, it's mostly just in the recommended list. Okay, this is a this is a pretty pretty terrible question, but if you would have to watch one movie on repeat for the rest of your life, what would it be? Ooh. Oh, I don't know. I feel like any movie I choose, I would just hate after the like seventieth <laughs> time. Yeah. Without, um. Without a doubt. Ooh, I don't know. There's some good movies. I really like Ready Player One, even though the book adaptation I think is better, or the movie adaptation is not as good, I should say, because the book is the original. But um, I really like Ready Player One, but I don't think I could watch that for the rest of my life. Probably The book book is awesome. The book is much better than the movie. The book is definitely better than the movie, but I was still very impressed when the movie came out. It was still very cool. It was very great. Um, I don't know. One movie. I can't pick one movie. I'm a huge movie person. I love movies. And so I don't know if I could just pick one, but I would probably say, uh, ever since I was really little, I've always loved the Italian job, like mm-hmm. the newer one with uh, Mark Wahlberg. I love that movie. I think it's great. A lot of people really don't like it, but I think it's a really good movie. And so I think I could probably watch it. I love heist movies, even though they kind of do get cliche after a little while. Do you think that entertainment shapes the expectations that teens have of themselves and others? Oh, Definitely. So a lot of movies and TV shows and things like that show a lot of characters who I think they try to make look flawed, but in the end, I think more than more often than not, the character ends up looking like a superhero, regardless of whether they are or not, in terms of like what they can do, what their capabilities are. Mm-hmm. And so I think that a lot of like, yes, they try to put these struggles on, like, oh, like their their father or mother passed away when they were little, and like they're trying to relate to people who have these issues. But they also give them unachievable goals that, like, they seemingly instantly just have zero. Like, they have struggles, obviously, and they, like, are trying. But it just seems like they make it seem like anybody can really do anything. And while that is true to an extent, I think that this pushes the limits a little bit. And so they they kind of – they give a lot of opportunity to the character, which not everyone has access to. Sure. So I think that that's – one aspect that I think is a little bit bent. I think it's a little twisted because not everyone has that kind of opportunity. So it's interesting to see how even when you're trying to make a flawed character and someone who can be related to, it's just really difficult because relatability is really everything when it comes to like movies and TV and things like that. That's how they sell. Mm -hmm. And so I think that when people see expectations of how these people are acting compared to themselves, they find themselves as like not as good or not as valuable as the other people. So I think that that's definitely something that I notice. Right. Okay. So say you're talking to a writer of a popular kids TV show. What is one piece of advice that you would give this writer about writing content for people your age? Oh, um, okay. For a show for our age, There's a lot. Okay, so if there's this show called um, Outer Banks, right? Mm-hmm. That I'm just going to use as an example. Yeah. They have a lot of these characters who seem like they have like pretty bad lives, like their parents are abusive or whatever, and they have other issues that make it seem difficult. But in the same time, they're also like breaking the law and doing other things. Like I'm trying to see it from like an objective point of view. So they're doing some pretty bad stuff also. And while I don't exactly agree with it, I think that people like the show because they see they're kind of 
rebellion almost or like teenage i don't know their their teenage innate rebellious side mm-hmm. in these people and so i think that that's obviously good because it's it's relatable but also maybe not to take it to quite an extent because that's how a lot of people get ideas to do stupid things is through characters who they see do things and they like pull it off like if someone were to i don't know do some like parkour running on like the top of a skyscraper or something like that and then some teen tries it because they think they can like be like their favorite character and then they fall to like a tragic death and that's and that's in real life and that that happens sometimes like Mm -hmm. people really think that they can see things in a movie (laughs) and that they can they can do those things and so it's not always like that you can't you can't always trust everything. So I think a lot of the time there's a lot of like false, a lot of uh, false trust, I would say, mm-hmm. because people think that there are perfect versions who can just do anything. And it's not always like that. Right. So, okay. That's, that's a great answer. What about on a more like emotion? What about on a more emotional level and perhaps a mental health level? Oh yeah, I think a lot of these shows also just like do not dive deeply into mental issues or mental health issues. And so I think that that is definitely something that could be incorporated more because there are obviously some things, but a lot of the story that you hear about for the characters is like a lot of problems at home or with family, like friends, things like that. But you don't really ever take a deep dive into how they're feeling as a person. Mm-hmm. Obviously there are platforms that do such things and they like try to reach the mental health aspect. But for the most part, I would say most movies and shows really do not go into the, the like mental well being of their characters. They just kind of are. And so they have their issues and they, that's it. That's like, it's a very surface level thing. Sure. There's not really a lot of depth to it. And so I think that there could definitely be some more writing aspect into grasping exactly how someone feels and how they can deal with it so that if for example someone in the audience is dealing with a similar issue maybe they can go and try similar methods to try to cope with their um mental health disorder great that's a great answer okay i got one last question for you sure question is if you could give one piece of advice to kids younger than you about how to have a positive relationship with media what would you say I would say try to space out your time on it because you can really get lost. If you think about it, it's kind of like a casino. There's no windows, no clocks. It's just they want you to stay there as long as you can. And so that's why the the clock at the top of the screen goes away. That's why all the distractions in your life go away. People like it because it's a good way to escape, but that's not a healthy way to live. So I would say my piece of advice is to make sure to be able to be able to control your I would say portion control almost for screen time and so being able to know when you've been on for too long and being able to get off and just be in the real world and have a conversation with somebody other than someone online like yes obviously it's good to still have conversations I know I'm saying obviously a lot but um, (laughs) it's good to have conversations with people in the real world but I think also if you call somebody on the phone I think can have just as much uh, sometimes even more value to the conversation because they might feel more comfortable in their own house or in their own environment talking from there rather than face to face. So I think that a lot of time it really just depends, but I think for social media, I would say try not to get too hung up on your image on the internet. Try just to care more about how other people perceive you 
in person. Because if people know you're a nice person and you're getting like hated on social media, you don't have to listen to those people. Like, what are they? They don't really know you. I think what you really need to listen to are the are your real friends and family who actually know you for who you are, not for what you choose for people to see, whether it be on Instagram or something like that. So that's what I would say. Yeah. Sam, you're a very, a very wise young man. That's a great, that's a great answer. And thank I you. just want to say thank you for taking the time to interview with me. You had some very thoughtful answers, some great insights. And yeah, I appreciate, appreciate you taking the time. This was a great conversation. Yeah, thank you. That concludes this episode of the Scholars and Storytellers podcast. A very special thanks to the wonderful students of Geffen Academy for joining the conversation. If you have a minute, rate and review us. And if you have any friends who you think would enjoy the show, share it with them. If you're interested in learning more about our work, please visit us at scholarsandstorytellers.com and follow our social media accounts by searching Center for Scholars and Storytellers. This podcast was produced by the Center for Scholars and Storytellers with special thanks to Jim Ools for creating the intro music, the UCLA Film School, and Near Liebenthal. Goodbye for now, and thank you for listening.